Well, welcome, a roadmap to the future, uh, the second uh, panel in the transportation track. Hope you guys are having a, a nice time. It's a beautiful morning here at UT. Um, my name is Alana Rocha. I'm the multimedia reporter for the Texas Tribune, and I will be moderating today's panel. Um, let me see. This, the format for all of our panels is 60 minutes. We'll have about, <clears throat> excuse me, 40 to 45 minutes of discussion that I'll moderate, and then we'll open it up to audience questions for the last 15 to 20. Um, if you are tweeting, first we ask that you silence your cell phones, but if you are tweeting, please use the hashtag TTF, and um, we'll get started. Let me first introduce uh, my esteemed panelists, starting with a Representative Ron Simmons uh, seated here to my right. He served two terms in the Texas legislature for District 65 north of Dallas. Simmons sits on the Transportation Committee and its long-term infrastructure planning committee. And in the spring passed House Bill 20 that revamped the process in which transportation projects receive funding. Seated next to him is Representative Cindy Burkett. Uh, since 2011, Representative Burkett represent, has represented House District 113, a stretch east of Dallas that includes parts of Garland and Mesquite. She also sits on the Transportation Committee and its long-term subcommittee. And this past session, she passed a bill addressing private toll roads and eminent domain. Seated next to her is Deidre DeLisi. And for about a decade, Ms. DeLisi has served as a policy and political advisor to Governor Rick Perry, as well as Chief of Staff. In 2008, Perry appointed DeLisi chairwoman of the Texas Transportation Commission. Commission pardon me. Today, she is a partner at DeLisi Communications. Nicholas Rubio uh, oversees infrastructure development projects, toll roads, across the country as president of Sintra US. The company is a majority shareholder in toll roads with an investment of more than $13 billion. One billion of that is uh, right here in Texas. And finally, Raymond Theus on the end, uh, hails from El Paso, where he served as executive director of the Camino Real Regional Mobility Authority. Since 2008, he got in on the ground level, helping establish the RMA. In his tenure, he's managed the design and installation of a toll collection system for the area's newest international bridge, Tornillo Guadalupe Port of Entry. So please, let's have a round of applause for all of our panelists. I don't know, I've debated about doing this, and I know there's no simple answer, because if there were, then this would be a much shorter panel. But I mean, almost word association, when you think of coming from your different backgrounds, is there a one-word answer, or I guess what's the first thing that comes to mind when you are asked the future of transportation in Texas? We'll just kind of go down the line, and like I said, we'll delve a lot more into this, but I'm just curious what's top of mind when it comes to the future of transportation in our growing state. Representative Simmons, we'll start. I think for me it's, it's uh, necessary mm. that we, that that in order for our state to continue growing, it's necessary to have the appropriate road infrastructure. And you, ha you can't be behind that, you have to be ahead of that. Mm -hmm. Therefore, that requires us to make investments when, there, when it may not appear there to be a need. Mm -hmm. Representative Burkett? Well, my word is close to that. I was thinking imperative. For the same reason, infrastructure is really important to our state, not only to bring businesses in, which we have done, but um, to meet the needs of our constituents. And roads are right there. I mean, how do you get to work? How do you get your kids to the ball game? You know, um, very important to them all. I'm gonna say challenging. Um, and I apologize in advance, I find it impossible to talk about transportation without using transportation puns. Um, I think we're at a crossroads. Um, the legislature, <laughs> thankfully, over the last two sessions has made transportation a priority. And with all of that effort, we are still severely behind. So I think it is, a, a huge challenge, 
not only to solve the problem, but also to communicate the problem to the public so they understand what has to be done in order to, to meet their needs. Yeah, I would uh, add to that a motion uh, element. So it's gonna be uh, growingly challenging. I think a uh, population in Texas is growing at two to 3%, and uh, <clears throat> the uh, infrastructure is not growing at that path. So as time goes by, the challenge is gonna get bigger. I, I would say it's linkages. Really, when you're talking about your transportation systems, whether it's a, in a municipality, whether it's across the state, it's really about linking the different ways of getting from here to there. And whether you're using a bike to get to the bus station, the bus station gets you to work, or whatever it is, it's all about those linkages. And that's really what we've kind of focused in, in on um, out in El Paso, and we'll imagine we'll talk a little, about, a little bit about that in a bit. Well, no, thank you. Uh, and what connects all of you uh, to kind of continue to the connectivity and the puns for <laughs> transportation are toll roads. Of course, our discussion will go beyond toll roads, but you know, in speaking with you all prior to this, I mean, are, are they just a, a thing, popular or not, that they're here to stay, or are they? Uh, representatives? Uh, you go first on this one? I think, um, you know, I'm talking with Larry Phillips and people, uh, representatives who've been in the um, House longer than the two of us. I understand how they came into effect um, and the need to meet the infrastructure needs and the funding um, issues that we had. Um, I think that we've kind of gone overboard a little bit, especially in our area. Um, I would like to see us kind of uh, ratchet that back some. Can we totally get rid of them? That would be a, the ideal goal. But as Deidre said, it's going to depend on what we do with our funding. You know, we, we got rid of all of our diversions this last time around. I think that was imperative so that our constituents can see where we actually sit in our funding and what we are um, being challenged with as we try to to um, plan for the infrastructure needs that we have and for the funding that goes hand in hand with that. You know, it's, it's um, really gonna be a decision of the voters. Um, it's up to us as legislators and, and uh, uh, agency, uh, people that work for the agency and whatever, to determine what are the needs, right? What are the needs? How much is it gonna cost? And then lay out the alternatives to how those are funded. And at the end of the day, the voters will speak to that. Either they'll say, we want a lot more congestion and less connectivity, and therefore, because we're not willing to pay one more cent, or we're willing to invest in some form or fashion, whether it's in, in the continuation, the use of toll roads, whether it's a, you, the proper use of debt, or whether it's increased revenue through some other source, that we're willing to do that to invest in these, in these roads. Or, they, or the other option is, is there any other place we can cut back in the state budget? And we know that those only two places you could really cut to make a significant uh, hit would be either through HHS, HSS, which is Health and Human Services, or education, because they take up 80% of the state budget. So those are the decisions that we're going to have to lay out there and listen to our constituents, and we're going to have to make the best, best way to do it. I think we have to invest in these, these roads. It's got to come from somewhere. Popular or not, uh, Deidre, you, in our conversation prior, you said that you know a future without toll roads is impossible. Why or, or why not? I think toll, uh, bluntly, toll roads are here to stay, and I think that's a good thing. I mean, when you look at the updated TTI study, but go back a little bit. When I was on the commission, we commissioned the 2030 report, and the goal was TTI tell us how much per year is needed to maintain 10, 2010 levels of congestion, pavement quality things like that, and using uh, the highway c cost index and other population, other factors, they came up with a number. They have since updated that number, including the energy sector, Prop 1, 
uh, and assuming Prop 7 passes. Um, and I think they had to in, uh, increase the, the inflation index. And the number they came back with, without toll roads, assuming all these other things, it's like $7 billion a year. Um, that's a significant percentage when you're talking about the state budget. And then when you talk about the current discussion, and TxDOT's in the process of doing the study of how much it would cost to get rid of the roads, the toll roads we have now, that's billions and billions of dollars just to get rid of tolls on roads we already have. That doesn't add one mile of capacity. It doesn't address congestion at all. So I, th I think there's just severe financial limitations that we have to be realistic. Um, but I say it's a good thing because when I look at, for example, what's happened in the Metroplex with three major projects, the NTE, the LBJ, and the North Karen Express, when those are valued at seven to $8 billion, is yeah. that right? We put in $1.5 billion of a state subsidy for those projects. And using multiple tools, including tolls, we are able to leverage and get a significant, a, uh, you know, five, four to $5 billion investment in these needed projects that are open and underway now without using those tools like toll roads. Um, I'm not sure, maybe one of them might be under construction right now, but they certainly all three wouldn't be open. I mean, the, the private-public partnership uh, is essential as far as funding goes. Uh, Mr. Rubio, what is it like to do business? Obviously, your company's seen, uh, you know, a plus to doing business here in Texas. From the private sector and that perspective, uh, what do you see in makeup of the, the market here in Texas? If I may, let me just address as well the issue of the popularity. I don't think toll roads are popular. <clears throat> but I think uh, paying taxes is even less popular. If you look at the, the uh, countrywide opinion polls, uh, there's a countrywide survey that HNTV develops every year, America Thinks, and it shows that 65% uh, more people support uh, building uh, roads with tolls rather than with additional taxes. And you may say, well, we don't need to raise additional taxes, well, then you can lower if you go to a toll road. So, so popularity, no, and, and paying taxes is not uh, as well. The second comment I would, I would, I would say is, is uh, when people look at uh, the developing infrastructure, there's a sort of misconception in thinking that the problem is only on the funding side. It's not on the spending side. Okay? No matter how you fund something, the cost is going to be the same. Well, that's not the case. Uh, I think toll roads and I think PPPs uh, are more efficient. And, and you have actual examples that show that. Uh, so I think when you look at developing transport, you have to look at both sides of that, that point. Uh, doing business in Texas is great. I cannot, I'm, I'm extremely satisfied here. I came here when I was two years old with my father. He was a doctor and uh, working in Houston, and then go back to Europe. And I've been here now for almost 10 years, and I'm enjoying it very much. And I think uh, our company is extremely proud of, of its investments in, in this state. And Mr. Theas, how do RMAs fit into the mix? I mean, toll roads are just one aspect of the uh, types of projects that you guys uh, oversee and, and help implement. And I guess first to explain, Regional Mobility Authority is probably not in everybody's Dictionary. daily vernacular. Uh, so first, I guess, explain what you do and, and what that is, and then. Sure. So uh, Regional Mobility Authorities are actually political subdivisions of the state of Texas. So we're separate governmental entities that are authorized by, uh, to be created by uh, TxDOT. So once TxDOT allows a community to create one, then they're, local, they're basically local entities that are created by either municipalities or counties 
So in our, in our case, we're the only municipally created RMA in the state. Uh, but what we do, it's, they're really very broad agencies. And really, it's, unfortunately, when people hear or think about RMAs, all they think about are, are toll roads. Uh, but the truth is, we're actually very broad-based agencies. We're able to do anything related to mobility. So whether it's rail, air, uh, mass transit, hike and bike, or roadways, anything above a, a neighborhood street, RMAs can be involved in. And, and you're seeing that out in, in El Paso. You know, the RMAs throughout the state, I, I believe there's nine of them now. Each of us are, are really kind of focused in on different things. There's one that's just doing air, uh, airport, uh, managing an airport. Us in El Paso, we just launched bike share. We're doing a streetcar project here in the next couple of years. We've, uh, we've done um, a major interchange on the far east side of El Paso. We've done aesthetic improvements to I-10. Um, you name it, we're involved in anything related to mobility. Now we're looking at, at parking facilities. We've, we've uh, as you mentioned early on, we focused in and, and helped the county of El Paso in their development of an international port of entry. We're now talking to the city of El Paso about their ports of entry. So we're, we're really a very broad, and then not to mention the fact that we also have a toll road, right? So we're, we're, really, we're really focused in on the idea that, that RMAs are very broad-based agencies. But if I could just get back to Representative Simmons' comments, um, I think in, in terms of RM, uh, toll roads in the future, it really is a, a voter-driven initiative. It really ought to be. But I'd take it a step further and, and really kind of comment on the idea that it ought to be a local decision as well, right? So we're, we're out in El Paso, we're discussing the idea of toll roads again. We've got one facility open. We've got Border West Expressway, which should be opening in about a year and a half, two years. We have the Americas Managed Lanes, which we're also developing right now to, to open up in about three, four years. But before we do all of that, um, in direct response to Representative Pickett's um, concerns, we're having a dialogue locally about tolls and whether or not we need to pursue tolls and continue to have the tolls in our area. So I think it's a healthy dialogue and I think we ought to do it, but we ought to do it locally as well. Thank you. Um, Mr. Rubio, you know, you, your company was behind the uh, three tollways that we talked about in the, in the North uh, Dallas region, but also, you know, closer to home here, just east of town is 130. <coughs> With him. We'd ask you not to talk. <laughs> um, you know, just uh, last June, I believe it was, our transportation reporter, Mambathesia, reported that um, that road was in danger of being in default because it's not as well traveled. How do, how do we prevent future projects like that coming to be? Um, and, and what sort of say does your company have and how does the state play in? You realize when you mentioned 130, something happened with the yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's, a, there's a famous uh, banker who normally says, uh, there are no bad investments, there are investments you do ahead of time. So I, I have to admit that SH-130 is probably an investment we did ahead of time. Uh, the, I think you have to look at it into perspective, and I'll, I'll comment on that, but you have to look at it with perspective. So remember, um, Austin has a gridlock problem and uh, in the early 2000s, it was decided to develop a ring road around Austin, and that was SH-130. SH-130, same as one through four. In that same plan, the idea was to get to San Antonio. So again, it's as close as you can get to San Antonio uh, when, you, when you go around all that area on, on the east. Uh, what happened was that uh, at that point in time, the state realized that uh, building segments six and five and six, which are the ones we are developing, was simply not uh, possible. There was no money to do it, and it was not feasible. 
So several years after that, there came a, a private developer and said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to develop this piece of road at no cost to the state, but rather we're going to do a concession payment to the state of $150 million. Well, it does not seem to me like a bad deal. <clears throat> it, it certainly has been an investment ahead of time for us investors, so it's not a successful investment. Uh, we, we have a large basket of investments, so, so we're a very healthy company, and, and some of our investments behave better than others. Now, but, but again, I mean, this was at no cost to the state, and it's going to have no cost to the state, no matter how it goes. Uh, the second uh, comment I would, I would say, what happened there? Well, first of all, there was the Great Depression. Remember, there has been a depression. Texas has behaved much better than others, and that's, that's one of the reasons why we're so happy here in Texas. But obviously, uh, traffic started failing, uh, falling down in 2007. In I-35, it, it didn't got back to the same levels of 2007 until 2010. So there has been a, 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 a reduction. And there's a second a, a, a element there, and it's connectivity. I mean, here the idea is to improve connectivity between Austin and San Antonio. And you cannot only rely on I-35. Now, you were talking about regional mobility authorities. If you look at uh, Central Texas, Austin, San Antonio, Round Rock, and the Metroplex, there's a fundamental difference. Austin and San Antonio have two different regional mobility authorities, two different toll agencies, or, or at least one in, in Austin. Uh, you look at the Metroplex, and you have the NTTA, which has a, a Metroplex-wide perspective, and you have one regional mobility authority. They have a different ability to connect better those two cities. And it's very similar. I mean, you may say, well, they are different. No, they're not that different. If you look at Austin, San Antonio, it's uh, four and a half million uh, people. In 10 years' time, it's going to be six million people where the Metroplex is today. Uh, it's 10 years uh, in transportation timing. 10 years is, is a very small period of time. The project you just mentioned, we, start, we just opened to traffic, started 10 years ago. In the, so uh, now look at the Metroplex. And, and how many roads are connecting Dallas and Fort Worth? There are at least three main roads, 183, Highway 30, Highway 20. All in all, 500,000, half a million vehicles a day. Now, between Austin and San Antonio, you only have one road, which is I-35. It's carrying 110,000 vehicles today. In 10 years' time, it's going to have to carry twice as much, at least. How are you going to do that? Are you just going to keep increasing lanes? It, it is much wiser to create a network as we have in the Metroplex and have other roads, and that's the purpose of SH-130. However, if you're driving on, on I-35 and you have a, 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 a congestion, you cannot today opt out of I-35 and take the alternative road. There's no way of doing it. Mm -hmm. So two things. Uh, uh, obviously, traffic has not been performing in the region as, as we expected, but it's, it's getting back, so we're very happy it's growing at Revenues are almost 30% per year. But second, it's, it needs connectivity to be successful. Otherwise, it, it will be a, a road in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it is a, whole, a holistic view and connectivity. Uh, Representative Simmons, how does House Bill 20 address that? I mean, you talked about prioritizing, you know, that it would look at projects and prioritize the projects that are, are carrying the most people, carrying the most freight. Mm -hmm. But you also have to look at connectivity. Is that part of the evaluation process that yeah, you what, laid out? What, uh, what we're trying to do with HB20, what we're going to do with HB20 is 
try to make our, our project selection process driven. And the way that we're gonna do that is we're gonna have, similar to what we did with our water plan in the 83rd session, is that's have a, a, a scorecard so that when, when a region like a San Antonio or an El Paso applies for state money, that their application would include certain factors that would be scored. And then the uh, TxDOT and the commission will evaluate those applications and those scores to determine how we allocate what is, as we all know, a finite resource. Connectivity and congestion mitigation obviously are a big part of that. At the same time, we'll also, like we do on the water, have to make sure that we're always allocating some to the rural areas for the, for the, uh, you know, for the energy and what have you. The thing, address this, the thing that I-30, I mean, 130 is a really good example of that. And I wasn't here, so I certainly don't know all the details, I'll say that up front. But where I-30 is physically makes it virtually impossible for the people of Austin to use, right? It's good if you want to go from Dallas to San Antonio, but not good if you live in Austin. That is too far out. Some of that process was politically driven. That's exactly what we want to try to get out of, is making it, politically driven and make it process driven. Mm -hmm. um, now, I mean, Deidre, during your time, you appointed volunteers to the 2013, or 2030, pardon me, uh, planning committee. Uh, are there any results from that yet? I mean, and you also, in our conversation, had talked about selection process isn't as important in just. No, I mean, it's, it's important. Um, I think the point I was trying to make, and, and when you're at a place where we are in Texas right now, is that there are a lot of really great projects and they're all gonna score really high um, because we're so far behind. And so right now, the analogy I use in my son's here, he's got headphones on, it's like choosing between your kids right now. You know, they're, they're all really good projects between Dallas, San Antonio, Houston, and the, your major metropolitan areas. And then, you know, and then different, but, but just as important to those rural areas are those maintenance and those safety projects and energy sector projects. So, um, so it, process is important, and process is important, and I found this out when I was on the commission because when I came on, people didn't feel like they really knew what we were doing, and they probably still don't, to tell you the truth. Um, but um, I had one commissioner that I served with, Bill Meadows, who really seized on that idea of process, and so when we were doing allocations out of Prop 12, Prop 14, the stimulus funding were the three big ones, we really changed our, our internal process for publicly going out there and saying, okay, here's, here's, here's the pots of money, here are the projects, here's how we're gonna allocate them. Um, and I think what House Bill 20 does is build on that and make it um, not just a tech stop, but forces that down through the transportation par partners, through the MPOs and the RMAs, to make that a cohesive planning strategy. Um, and so that's, that's gonna pay dividends long term. Um, and, and to answer your question about the 2030, um, yeah, I think we have seen some good results from the 2030. It really allowed a spotlight on what the need is because prior to that report, there were competing reports out there with what is the need. No one really knew. Um, and there's still some criticism of the number, um, but it's allowed us to focus on it and it's given the legislature a target. And it's not, it's such a big number. You're not, they're not gonna bite it off in one session. And to expect them to do it in one session is unrealistic. Um, we got we made a lot of progress over the last two sessions, particularly last session. Last session was so important because they gave voter willing. The legislature gave transportation a growing revenue source. Transportation didn't have that. Our main revenue source was um, 
is, is gas, and it's, it's on the decline as, as, as fuel efficiency improves. We're on the decline in Texas, even though we've got a growing population. So that was, that's gonna pay out long-term in a huge way, and it's those things, it's those little bites at the apple, um, at that target that the 2030 Commission put out that um, is, is, I think has been so valuable to the discussion. If that money, though, can't go to paying for new toll roads, are there mass transit projects that, um, or is that just a matter of maintaining roads, and where does that money go then? The, the money that they've already... Right, and that could be passed now in November. Yeah, well, that money is only is not allowed for toll roads. Right. It's, only, it's not allowed for transit. It's, it's for roads. It's for, it's for non-tolled facilities. Um, uh, and so that, that, in my mind, leaves a lot of money on the table because we're not using those. That money can't be leveraged. Um, and we've had a really good success rate in, in the state over the last 10 years of using dollars and leveraging them to bring in more money, like with the three ma major projects up in the Metroplex, uh, well, like with State Highway 130. I mean, he, they paid us $125 million for the yeah, privilege of building that, uh, 150. Um, <laughs> for the, so we were, we've been able to bring more money into the system and build bigger projects quicker than we would, we would have been able to otherwise. And so I think that's why um, we need to have an honest dialogue with people, and I get people don't like toll roads, but as Nicholas said, they don't like paying taxes, they don't like sitting in congestion. Um, and with the budget situation, it's rosy, but it's not gonna be as robust as it was last time. I don't think there's gonna be big pots of money every session for transportation. I, I want an honest discussion about these are the needs, and we've got the top 100 list that uh, A&M puts together, and, of the top most congested roadways and how much those projects cost. And I think TxDOT's even actually said, you know, which one of those, how much could you leverage on those pro projects? Um, give people the, the option and, and explain to them, these are, these are all the, the, the buffet of bad choices. Which least bad choice do you want to take? Because from a perspective from economic development and growth and a growing vibrant state and maintaining that, from my perspective, I would... I, I would love to see those programs continue because I think they've been really, really good for the state. And as a resident of Austin, I would love to see them continue for the I-35 project. Mm -hmm. Well, we see that when private money comes in, projects move a lot faster. Um, Representative Burkett, does your bill that passed this past session addressing eminent domain slow that process down or, or I guess explain how eminent domain and, and private toll companies uh, will operate after the passage of that bill? Well, the passage of that bill affected a um, law that we had in effect since 1913. And um, that was put into effect before we had a tech stock. And we didn't have any kind of um, coordinated structure uh, to work around to build our roads or to fund them. Never been used to actually build a road. But um, it came about when we had last fall uh, a private company looking at building a um, Blackland corridor from Greenville to Garland. Mm -hmm. And public outcry was loud. We had 1,400 people show up at a meeting in Rockwall. We had to close down meetings in other areas because it went past uh, the fire codes. And their main concern was the fact that a private company could come and take 20 to 30 miles worth of eminent domain, use it to take roads uh, or to take property and build a road that didn't belong to a governmental entity, a, you know, state, county, city, whatever. And personally, I think that was um, appropriate in this particular situation. So what we did was we took the eminent domain authority, put it back where it belonged. Um, any company, you know, like a company down here that actually builds roads 
and wants to do that in conjunction with a governmental entity, they can do that. Um, then there's a contract involved, be it 50 years or whatever, and the, the road still belongs to the state, the county, whatever. My concern as an elected official is, is if we don't do that and people come to me to complain, what do I say? Oh, you'll have to go to that board of, you know, this private company's boards over there. I don't feel like they feel like they have the um, representation that they need if there's issues that arise, and I agree with that. So um, in that particular instance, that's what that did. But in, private personal property in the state of Texas is one of the things that we have valued for years. And I think that we need to make sure that people, when they um, invest their dollars into a piece of property that they want to own, be it for a home or for a ranch they've had for 100 years, that they know it can't just arbitrarily be taken without going through a, a very um, solid process. Um, as far as tools, uh, the RMAs, uh, the nine you mentioned across the state, would be considered a tool to try and implement these different things. Um, but it, should there be more oversight? We were chatting before um, the Dallas Morning News did a thorough investigation uh, looking at the nine RMAs and showed that they burned through a billion dollars in tax dollars and, and some have had little to show for it. Um, there was a bill this session that would have uh, required you guys to be audited um, that, didn't, that didn't go through. I mean, do you need more oversight for RMAs? <laughs> yeah. I mean, how do you market yourself as a, a valuable tool to addressing the transportation woes of the state? Okay? All right, so I'll speak a little bit louder. There it goes. Um, so uh, I think ultimately the, the key with any local agency, and, and RMAs in particular, is to have that, that really open dialogue with, with your with the entities that created you, that in our case, the city of El Paso. So we've got a really open dialogue with the mayor, with the council. We uh, present to them periodically. Um, you know, we have, by statute and by Texas Administrative Code, we've got annual audit requirements. We've got reporting and compliance requirements of TxDOT. And because we're an unfunded, uh, all RMAs are unfunded agencies, uh, a lot of the funds come from either the state or the federal government, so there's audit provisions built into there. So we've developed relationships with the County of El Paso to use vehicle registration fee funds uh, to develop about six to eight roadway projects for them. We've uh, used transportation reinvestment zones from the City of El Paso to develop a number of roadways for them. So what I'm getting to is it's that, that relationship that you develop with your local agencies and that, that um, openness that you develop that I think gives you um, uh, or gives that comfort level to your local agencies that, that you are in fact doing it right. Uh, your audit information is, we post all of ours online once it's complete. And, and then we actually present it to the, to the city as well. So I, I feel like there is a great deal of oversight already. Um, but listen, we're a public agency and, and, and we're certainly willing to, to comply with any other additional rules as they come down. As far as uh, speed, I mean, with RMAs, I mean, I did mention the, the project or the investigation just now, but I mean, do you feel though as though you can develop projects faster than conventional government or maybe not as fast as the private sector? We can and we have. I, I do, I really believe that. I mean, our RMAs were structured to be very flexible agencies. And, and in, our, in our community, I think we've been embraced by, by most folks. And that's because we come in and we fill the gaps. So, so for different projects, we've played different roles. For State Spur 601 is also known as the, uh, the Interloop project in, in our region. We financed the project. So we came in as a conduit bond issuer and, and issued $230 million in debt 
that saved the project tons of money because originally it was um, an unsolicited bid by a private developer. So in that case, we just did the financing. In, in other projects, we've just done the design. In other projects, we've taken it from planning through design to construction and, and turned it over to TxDOT. So um, I, I think they're really flexible agencies and, and because of the structure where we have appointed board members, so uh, they come with business backgrounds and they're, they're fully vetted by our, um, by our city council in our particular case. So they're really well suited for these, for these positions and, and we really kind of get down to business and get it done. So uh, we've got a really good track record. You notice that in the article that you mentioned, the El Paso RMA wasn't mentioned. So that, that's a, a little. Yeah, and I don't mean to make you the fall guy for, for those in that, you mentioned in that report. I just thought I'd, you know, I mean, that, that's put out there and you know, sure. if that's all people hear about RMAs, then they. And that's, that's the unfortunate part, right? So like, I'm, like I, I was saying earlier, RMAs are tolling agencies. Well, they're much more than that, and, and we're, I think, a really good example of that. I mean, it is interconnective, or you know, connectivity through you know highway systems, but also through different modes of transportation. So, um, how do you address that? I mean, one one, and it doesn't keep cars off the road necessarily, but as far as statewide and looking to the future, uh, Uber and Lyft, there were there were um, pieces of legislation this past session to try and you know make a statewide. Uh, regulation for them. Is that realistic next session? I mean, just with the well, piecemeal I, uh, know, jurisdictions we've seen? I personally think it's something in that particular field that we that we should have a statewide. And we, another thing we have to remember, it's a lot of people forget that unlike the United States, which is made up of a collection of states, the state of Texas is, in a sense, uh, the entity overall. The others are all political subdivisions, as the gentleman mentioned. So therefore, when our founding fathers decided to make our state that way, they did so with the, with the idea that the state needs to have a overall view of things, and therefore something like what you explained would benefit the people of the state. There's no way that the average citizen wouldn't rather know that if I get into a car in Uber in Houston, that it's gonna be the same rules and if they are, if I get into the one in Dallas, whether that's insurance, whether that's, you know, how they, how they uh, train their drivers, those types of things. So that has to benefit the state. Now, there are other uh, stakeholder groups that have interest in that. We need to listen to those and make sure we come up with the right way, but, but, but absolutely. But it's just like, it's just like in our road system, we need, the state's job is connectivity with a big state like we have and congestion mitigation, not only for people, but for freight. That's what moves businesses. We should not be in the business of bike lanes and those types of things. Those are local issues that cities, if, if Austin wants to shut down all their roads and have bike lanes other than the connectivity roads, that's, that'll keep it weird, right? So they <laughs> could do that. But that, the state shouldn't get involved in that. The state should say, okay, what our job is to get people through Austin mm -hmm. and around Austin, not in between Austin. And that's what the state needs to be involved in. You, you alluded to uh, the taxi lobby. I mean, is it realistic to get past that, say, next session, Representative Burkett? <laughs> he alluded to it. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. you know, there, and that's part of our process. You know, we have a bill that comes to the, to the floor and goes to committee. That's part of our process is so that everybody who has some kind of stake in it can come and speak mm -hmm. and talk about it. Uh, they, one of the things they often brought up during our Uber discussion was the safety issues, the insurance issues. Those are things we need to look at when, it, when it's directly affect, affecting state 
uh, I mean, our, our constituents' safety or um, with the insurance that get affecting personal property that people are going to have um, that might get injured in a, in a car hap, a mishap, that's something we need to look at. Um, so, uh, yes, there are always lots of people coming from all different sides. Some are lobbyists, some are individuals that come up to testify on their own behalf. And we had tons of those drivers that came in to talk about how beneficial it was. And, and we, as a um, legislature, have to look at it and weigh that. But um, I agree with Ron as far as we need yeah. to look at the major connectivity. If I can make one more comment on yeah. that, and, and Representative Burkett and I feel the same way on this, if, if Uber and Lyft and the others are going to be involved in this, like the taxi companies are, then they're going to have to serve the disabled. That's one of the biggest challenges I had is they did not, they wanted to do a little bit, but not enough. You know, we require the taxi companies to provide services to the disabled, okay? Because in a lot of cases, and I, you know, I, I, we both have family experiences with that. And that's something that if they're going to want to operate like they want to operate in Texas, as far as I'm concerned, they're going to have to figure out a way to do, to be able to provide services to the disabled. And I know it'll be more expensive to do that. But as a society, we've decided as a society that we want to help others that are less fortunate than us in private business and government and our faith. We all have decided that. And so the companies that want to be able to serve and participate are going to have to participate in that as well. Uh, and you obviously need uh, roads to do all that. Um, and Mr. Rubio, then do you see, I mean, what do you see as your immediate future, uh, your company's immediate future here in Texas? I think it's going to be built on, uh, on track record, on success. And uh, you, you asked me before about a challenging project. Let me give you an example of what I believe is a success. Uh, we opened to traffic one year ago, the North Atlantic Express. It's a $2 billion project, managed lanes. Managed lanes meaning we are rebuilding a whole uh, highway. It was a 50-year-old highway. We are adding lanes, only tolling those additional lanes. And with that tolling, we're paying for the whole maintenance, the reconstruction and the maintenance over 50 years. Um, now, I, I was saying before that uh, not every uh, funding system is going to have the same efficiency on spending. But in these three projects together that, that Deirdre Delisi was mentioning, uh, uh, almost a $7 billion investment over time, uh, the initial spending was 27% below initial expectations as a result of the approach that was taken. <coughs> If uh, there are examples, SR91 in California, in, in Orange County, has been running now for 15 years. Uh, they are using a similar system, uh, tall express lanes in the middle of the road and, and uh, general purpose lanes uh, on, on both sides. The express lanes have a throughput which is 60% higher than the normal roads. So that, that's also why it's spending. You want to invest in whatever is going to help more relieving congestion with a lower expenditure. Uh, now, one year after we opened to traffic, nine months ahead of schedule NTE, uh, it's carrying 25% more traffic than before, than before construction. Now, looking at only at, at the toll-free lanes, they're carrying the same volume of traffic as they did before construction with 80% less congestion. Average speeds are 15 miles per hour on average higher. So that's a success. It's a win-win. I don't know who can be heard with that approach. Especially because when it comes to tolls, it's a choice, whereas taxes, Absolutely. we can't necessarily 
avoid them. Uh, we have about five minutes or so left of discussion, then we'll open it up to questions from you guys. Um, but a lot of focus on roads, you know, like I said, Uber and Lyft ultimately need roads if, if I'm not the one behind the wheel. Uh, you know, any talk, of, aside from the, the bullet train I mentioned, um, you know, just a mass transit and, and if I don't want to drive and deal with the traffic, I mean, are there not any major connectivity projects, uh, whether, you know, be private sector or, or how does that all fit into the, the grand scheme of things? Well, in, in addition to the, the Houston to, um Dallas high-speed rail that's gotten a lot of attention. You've got the Lone Star Rail Line that's, um, you know, they're working on it between Austin and San Antonio. And to me, that's a really attractive option. It always has been because unlike between, and, and, I, and I think they're doing a great, you know, the Houston and Dallas line, uh, they're, they're doing their due diligence and um, it's, it's, it's a process they're going through. You have an, op there are options to go to between Dallas and Houston. You can drive, they want you to be able to have a choice to take a train or you can fly. There's no option between Houston, I mean Austin and San Antonio. You're driving. You're not flying to San Antonio. Um, and I tell you what, every single time I have to drive, I drive a lot to Corpus Christi, and every time I have to drive between Austin and San Antonio, I wish I could get on a train. It's the worst stretch of highway um, that I have to drive on a regular basis. So, so I think there are some good options out there. I mean, they're, they take some time to get up and going, and you know they require. Uh, private sector involvement, and the private sector is only going to come in if the traffic shows that it's going to make sense. Um, so I think there's some other options out there. Um, they're just they're just going to take a, a longer time um, to um, to come to fruition, particularly in a state like Texas that has been so in love with the car for so long. It still is. Right. But what um, when I I when I came to the commission, I came I came with a knowledge base of transportation policy because I'd worked in the legislature, but not sort of that, you know, deep in day in day out. And I remember, you know, pretty quickly in a row we did a Prop 12 issuance, a Prop 14 issuance, and we had stimulus funds. I mean, these were billion dollar project selections we were going in. I thought, wow, we're doing billions of dollars here. We're getting ahead. And you realize you're just the hamster on the wheel. You're running, you're running, you're running, and you're not getting anywhere. And so that really focused us, that commission at the time, when we redid our mission statement, we, we made sure, we made, we made it clear we were broader than just one mode. We had to be multimodal as a state. Um, I think there's a lot of focus on passenger rail. For me, I wish there would be much more focus on freight rail. Because in terms of I-35 traffic, and you guys have to drive it all the time, if, you got those, if you're able to get those trucks off, off the roads and on rail, whether it be a freight shuttle or, or traditional rail, it would make it a whole lot safer, a whole lot more of a pleasant driving experience. Um, but you know, we just we've had a rail relocation fund in the state for ten years, established but not funded, um, to get those rail lines out of the city centers. So I, you know, I, I look at freight rail as, as as something that I would love to see happen. I just don't. I just don't know. Well, with that, we will open it up to questions first. Let me uh, get a round of applause for our panelists and the inside. Do we, uh, we have a couple mics, uh, one on each side. Does anyone have um, any questions they'd like to ask our panelists as far as future solutions for transportation? Don't be shy. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, thank you. Uh, my name is Andy Myers. I'm a county commissioner in Fort Bend County. Uh, Fort Bend County is uh, the 10th largest county in the state. Uh, it's the second fastest growing county. 
By precinct, precinct three is the fastest growing in, uh, in Texas. We grow about 10% a year. Uh, we're on the west side of uh, the Houston area and the Katy Fulcher area to give you an idea of uh, the geographics of where we're at. Um, we add about 20,000 people a year to my precinct, uh, which uh, gets kind of challenging. To address that, uh, we, uh, uh, back in 97, Fort County created a toll road authority and we built now two, three toll roads, two of them in my, in my precinct. One of our toll roads connects to uh, Harris County's West Park Toll Road. We call it obviously the West Park Toll Road. It goes down 1093 out uh, to uh, 99. And we're extending that toll road uh, all the way to 1463, which is another eight miles. Um, one of the biggest problems that my constituents have is they're stuck on the traffic, in a traffic jam on the West Park Toll Road, in large part because uh, to get from the West Park Toll Road to Bellway 8, you have to go through three signals. There's no direct connect. Despite the fact that the West Park Toll Road and, the, and Beltway 8 generate significant, significantly uh, uh, surplus revenue uh, from the tolls, um, Harris County has decided not to build that direct connect. Instead, they use the surplus revenue to build uh, non-toll roads that uh, they say connect to the toll road. Um, and uh, a number of years ago... I'm sorry, do you have a question? I yeah, apologize. I do. Okay. I, I'm getting there. Okay. I, I got to give you a little background. I apologize. Okay. The North Texas Tollway Authority also a number of years ago um, issued uh, several, million, uh, several billion dollars more in debt than it would take them to build Highway 121 for the purpose of building non-toll roads also. So both Harris County and the North Texas Tollway Authority are using the surplus revenue to build non-toll roads. Uh, the, the toll revenue is paid by a very small percentage of the, of the population, the people. My question to you is, do you believe that this is a, an appropriate use of surplus revenue from, a toll, from the uh, toll roads? Well, go ahead. I, in 121's example, that's in my district, so I'm very familiar with that. And Centra came in and built that, and it worked out to be really a tremendous deal for us. Denton County got $600 million out of that deal. We, it, we turned around and used that money to help put our portion in for what's expanding on I-35, where they're expanding I-35. So that was a really big benefit for us. And so I believe, my, my answer to that is I believe in that situation, as long as it's not state money, that that's a local issue, that, that there are consequences of elections that happen and the, and, and the elected officials need to have a uh, part of their platform on how they're gonna take care of that. I understand exactly what you're saying. That, this, you know, the thing that makes sense to me would be able to, you know, provide some connectivity there to get to the toll roads so they can get it to Beltway 8. But, but uh, obviously the other elected officials don't, don't see it that way. And so I think it's a local elected official issue that they've got to, got to figure out how to solve. Because it happens everywhere. I mean, NTTA does the same thing on, on some of the issues. And that's why one of, the, one of the questions that we have is that once you build a toll road, one of the questions I'm going to ask in my committee, once you build a toll road and it's paid for and the investors have received their return on their investment, should we then put that, once it's paid for, back to the state for maintenance, all right, so that people quit paying tolls on that? And therefore, because what NTTA will tell you, and I think this is right, is that they take money now 
to, from the excess on the North, Texas, the North Dallas Tollway, which has been paid for for a long time, they, they take that money to build roads in other places, right? And the people in my constituents that drive up and down the tollway say, well, I don't want to build the North, the, the uh, Chisholm Trail over in Fort Worth. They, they would rather have that money back to be used on something else. But at the same time, in speaking with Mr. Rubio uh, before this, if you take the toll off, don't you just have that road flooded again, uh, you know, as far as congestion goes? I don't think it changes. I'm not sure it changes the traffic pattern. Um, no. I, don't, I don't think so. Uh, it certainly wouldn't yeah, yes. couldn't change the traffic pattern on the North Dallas Tollway because it's already. Just, to, just one clarification. <clears throat> we did submit a proposal for 121, but it was finally developed by the North Texas Tollway. Oh, I'm sorry, okay. Uh, but I, I would like to say that uh, we had an experience, our first toll road was awarded in 1968. It was a toll road in, in linking the north of Spain with France, and it was a 35-year concession term. We handed it back to the government in 2003, after 35 very successful years of operation, and they had to keep the tolls, precisely, because if not, it would be flood with, flood with, with cars. And, and so. The tolling is adding one more component, which is management of uh, traffic in, uh, in, in the metroplex. And I think the NTTA would not be able to keep their roads running as fast as they are if it were not for, for tolls. So there's a management component. And as, as I said before, the 791 in California, the toll lanes have a throughput of 1,900 vehicles per lane per hour. The non-toll lanes have a throughput of 1,200,000. ,000. Sorry, 1,200 uh, uh, vehicles per lane per. So it's 60% more throughput on those two lanes. So it, it does have that component as well. I just wanted to make an observation. Though. We used to have a toll road from um, Dallas to Arlington in 30. And as I've traveled the district and we've talked about you know, people's issues with toll roads, that's one thing that's been brought up to me. You know, hey, look, we used to have this road over here. They paid for the road. They got rid of the tolls. And I call that a retro toll. Ron's heard me say that before. Let's get back to the retro tolls where you charge to get that road done, it goes to that road, and when it's done, it goes away. I think that um, we even have a more serious issue if we can't look at doing just maintenance and, and, op and, uh, and uh, operations on those roads after the, the debt is paid off. Um, and that may be something we need to bring to the attention of our constituents as well. But I, I don't know that um, I don't know that I agree with because you open it up that it's going to make it more congested. I don't know that I agree with that option. Now, if we need to have some designated, not, not told, but some designated lanes on, uh, say, 635 or 75 or be at 30, saying these are for you know, straight throughput, and you, you know you're going to get in here, and you cannot get off till you get to the other end, that will help some of that. That will manage the traffic without tolling the management of that traffic. I think that's something we need to look at as well. You don't think because the road no longer costs me anything, I'm not, it's not more attractive for me to use it? Possibly so, but um, again, if we're trying to, if we're looking at using um, a charge to manage those lanes, maybe to to manage the traffic flow, maybe what we need to look at is designated lanes that that people don't have to pay to get on to manage that traffic. Be it a designated lane for the throughput, as I just said, or a designated designated lane for freight. The, the goal is not to keep people off the road. No, it's to get them the through. The goal is to get is to is to have the road so that people can move through. Right. That's, at least that's that's. That's what I think our goal is. Now, maybe other people just dis disagree with that, but I, you know, I th if you get on the North Dallas Tollway every morning, um, I think people pay three, four dollars to sit and go ten miles an hour. 
Imagine if there was no tolls on there, how you could get one more car. So I understand his business perspective of it because it's a business. But as, as somebody representing constituency, you know, tax dollars are to build the roads to get me from home to work, home to school, home to wherever. And that's what we need. To, that's what we concentrate on is getting the, the flow of traffic going. Um, managing yeah, that traffic, toll, I think, can be done differently than just through tolls. I understand that can be a benefit a as well. Financing vehicle. That's right. It's, all, it's a financing vehicle, and we have to evaluate as I'm, I'm, I'm an engineer before a businessman. Right? Yeah. So, so that's a fact. And, and now we have some TTI people in the room, and they can answer it. So there are two. I mean, congestion is uh, throughput depends on average speed. An average speed depends on the number of cars you have in the road. There are two ways of controlling that. One is charging. The other one is what you see in Washington and in London, is by red lights uh, prohibiting the access to the road in the ramps. So th those are the two options you have got. Or as you were saying, dedicating lane, dedicated lanes. You, you need to do some kind of management of traffic. Otherwise, it simply does not move. And I'm, okay, I'm good with managing traffic. I just don't think that, that charging to make that a, you're basically getting penalized if you want to use the road. And I don't think that's an accurate way to do it. I'll also say long-term, it will make it that number bigger. Because if you think about, you know, you, you have a con, uh, contract, a 50-year contract on the road. And in 50 years, if you take the tolls off and the state is asked to come in and maintain it, that's a very significant cost to maintain existing payment, which is very important. It needs to be done. Um, it makes it that much more difficult to try and bite away at that big stake of reducing congestion because you're putting money into your existing highways. So that's one of the attractiveness of maintaining the toll on, on, on the facility going forward. You can see the discussion we're going to be having. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Saying, to on the flip side, if, if tolls are to, to fund the road, then we should be able to maintain it. And as I said earlier, that may be something we need to look at. Yeah, well. and, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, and then from my perspective, when I was on the commission, you know, that's sort of a delicate balance because of primacy, right? You know, and, and so if the, the locals choose to develop a road, then you're, you're going to say, okay, in 50 years, we're going to turn you, state you're on the hook. Privacy is a whole other discussion. Yeah. There are so many, so we many. we got another hour to talk yeah, about yeah, privacy. That's right. <laughs> but, yes, sir. Good morning. My name is Bert Metter. I'm going to talk about funding for just a moment. Why not increase the gas tax? And this is a question. It's a user-based fee. It makes a whole lot of sense. Why not? Well, uh, as we were saying earlier, I think the first thing Properly using the money that they're trusting to And so that was why I made the comment earlier. I'm very, very happy to see that we've gotten rid of all the diversions out of our, our gas tax money. Um, as, as elected officials, we're there to represent our constituency. If they don't see the need, that kind of puts us in a friction spot as far as looking at, raise, at in, uh, raising any revenue. And along with that, thing, that uh, concept is, do you look at it, is gas tax now the right way to do it? to get rid of it and look at a different way of funding, maybe not necessarily through tolling, it might be, you know, per mile, whatever, because um, with the with the, um, the strides that we have made to get better uh, better gas mileage, I have, a, I drive a, a, well, it was a Prius, but I have got a hybrid, my husband drives a truck. If we go down the same stretch of road, who's paying more to drive on that road? And with uh, the, fed, the federal requirements that we've got that are coming down saying you have to have this much miles per, this much miles per hour out of your vehicle, that's also affecting it. So I think that it's going to be a lot of um, combinations of things. And answering your question, I mean, one, we need to look at totally 
how we are funding it, if that's the best way to do it, if it's still the logical way to do it. If, if, um, if we don't raise our gas taxes, feds are talking about doing it. So then that money goes to the feds and comes back with less than our dollar for dollar. Um, but we, first thing we need to do is look at where we are um, with our gas tax, where we are with other ways that we pay for roads, uh, how we're, um, what kind of um, inventory we have on our toll roads, what would it cost to, to pay all that off, how long would it take? If you've got a 50-year a contract with the company to build a toll road, now, then it's going to be 50 years. If you look at looking at one of the things that uh, Chairman Pickett talked about doing was with looking at the inventory, what would it cost to pay it off? What would it cost to pay the, you know, whatever um, uh, penalty it might be or early payoff it might be? So it's going to be a lot of, um, I think, uh, information that we need to get. And as, as much as I struggle with studies, and Ron knows I kind of rail against those, you've got to have the correct information to make the correct decisions. But, um, you know, back to your original question, we need to make sure properly using our money so our constituents Thank you. And with that, I'm sorry, we have to uh, wrap up. Let's have another applause for our panelists, please.